This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to explain why these claims Adesanya couldn't beat Jones after UFC 248 are crazy. We catch up with Sugar Sean O'Malley after his win over the weekend. And we're also going to talk about the future of Ioana and Jacek following her loss also on Saturday. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. I want to go back to this Izzy conversation. Israel Adesanya, we had him on the show yesterday. Um, if you missed it, it's on the podcast. It's on On Demand. I put that one interview on my YouTube channel, so go listen if you haven't heard it. But there's another aspect to all of this that we're not – that I. it's – okay. So one of the things that has happened after UFC 248 kind of blown my mind a little bit. One, people being like, oh, you know what the problem was with the main event? The problem was it was two counter-strikers. Folks, I have to tell you, the evidence does not show that. If you want to say the main event was boring, sure, or that maybe both guys could have done more, we can debate the particulars of that, but you know, I can more or less live with that. But it is simply not true that Adesanya was trying as best he could to counter-strike. There were some counter-striking opportunities, but as a general rule, the way I'm trying to explain it was he was trying to pick the lock. He wasn't trying to counter-strike. That's not, the, 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 that's not what the evidence shows at all. So that's the first problem I have. We can deal with that later. The other one, though, is coming out of this, I saw a lot of weird thoughts. Now, the good news is People are like, okay, well, Adesanya versus Costa should be kind of exciting. I think we're most I think most people are on board with that idea. But the one that I also saw was, oh man, Jones would just have his way with Adesanya. Now listen, I am not here to say that Jones wouldn't win. I'm not here to say Jones wouldn't be the favorite. I'm not here to say anything about uh Jones not deserving to be taken seriously. Nothing like that's not. I, I want to be very clear. That's not what I'm suggesting to you here. What I am suggesting to you here is, what did you see in this fight, whatsoever, that told you Izzy would do poorly against John? And here's how I'm asking it. I'm asking it relative to the expectations you had going in, right? Because if you're making the argument, oh, man, well, after UFC 248, Adesanya just wouldn't stand a chance against Jones. You're making that claim based on something that you saw there. What did you see? Because I got to be honest with you, there's nothing I saw there that would tell me he couldn't be competitive against John Jones. In fact, based on what I saw, there's plenty of reasons to think that he could be. In, especially in dealing with some of Romero's wrestling. So I, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit baffled by that one. That one I don't quite understand. You know, and I said it before, it's like, dude, we're, we're, we're making all the same mistakes that we made the first time with Adesanya when he fought Silva. Oh, you know what? That Adesanya cat's a little bit overrated, and he couldn't beat this guy, and he couldn't beat that guy. Why? Because he was so careful against a tricky fighter? Is that, what is that what the answer is? 
And then he goes through and after that fight has a fight of the year contender. Eight UFC fights. In six of them, he's won an award. And one of them was a fight of the year. The only two he didn't were the Silva and Romero fights. I mean, obviously the Romero fight's not going to win any awards, any, 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 any good awards. And yet people are going out there and then just declaring these broad generalizations about what is and what isn't happening. It's just bizarre to me. I don't quite understand where it's coming from. And this is the same point I made after the Silva fight and people bought into it. And now I'm bringing it up and people are dismissing it again. It's like, dude, are we really going to do this every time? Who is, I can look at most, and again, I, I, this is not like, oh, I'm some kind of expert. Far from it. This is my point. I'm fight literate. I'm not an expert. I'm fight literate. If I can go through the tape, and I can, it, it takes me a while to figure out what Adesanya is doing, and it doesn't take me hardly any time at all to figure out what everyone else is doing, what does that tell you about the level of difficulty that he uh, um, adds to a fight and for an opponent to beat? freaking high it's very high which is why Romero for the success that he had in his defense couldn't do anything else but that or at least chose to but here's the bigger point what what did you what did you guys out there see that gives you such great confidence that this guy uh Adesanya after UFC 248 oh he'd have no chance against John Jones because I saw a bunch of that and, you know, in the words of Joe Biden, that sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. Now, if you remain unchanged, fine. If you didn't feel like that was the kind of inspiring performance to really get you uh, ultra convinced he'd do well, you know, I can sort of understand that. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable position. Like, it wasn't for either guy exactly the most confidence-inspiring performance. So I don't think, that that's a, I don't think that's an unreasonable position to adopt. What is unreasonable, and some of the things that I've seen is, oh man, John would have his way with him. Dude, what would make you think that the current version of John Jones would have his way with Adesanya? Because I don't think that. You can make a case he's lost his last two fights. And I think for sure he lost the last one. Where is this coming from? Adesanya's takedown defense, at this point, if not excellent, very good. Romero could do nothing with it. Adesanya did much better dealing with the takedown threat of Romero than Whitaker ever did, and Whitaker's got phenomenal takedown defense. He is good enough to avoid taking most forms of damage. He can fight going forward. He can fight backing up. He's got excellent cardio. He has a shorter reach than John, but not by much. And he's got way more striking weapons. Now, John's defense is also very good. One of the lessons that we learned from the Reyes fight, and it's going to be a constant problem, is John is very good about not getting hit generally, and when he does get hit, he gets hit to the body and to the legs. The problem is, unlike Romero, he'll return fire. He will find his openings. He doesn't put big combinations together. He's a single-shot, high-variance type of guy, but he's that guy. And so you have, to, you have the choice you have to make, which is you could take a lot of risks and swing at a lot of different, you know, dead air and try to hit him in the head and spend a lot of energy trying to corner him, or as he tries to escape, you can go work the body. But if you work the body, as we discussed yesterday, the judges may not favor that as much as somebody who lands to the head. John Jones is a tricky guy to fight. If you wanted to favor John Jones over Adesanya, 
I don't think I'd have an issue with that. If you wanted to say, well, you know what, my my, I need to see something special from Adesanya for me to make him think, for me to make, excuse me, for him to make me think that he could beat John. And yes, he's done many special things, but I mean from this point going forward, right, since taking the belt. And of course, Romero wasn't necessarily that. Okay, I don't think that's unreasonable. He looked across from Kelvin Gastelum at the end of round four, heading into round five, saying, you can't win. I'm prepared to die. And we all said that that was like a grown man performance from him from round five. All of a sudden, all that goes away? I, I ju- it's just crazy to me, some of the things people are saying now. What, what, what was there in terms of a downgrade in performance? Not in performance, excuse me. Downgrade in ability that made you reconsider what was possible. I would love to know the answer. Because for the life of me, I didn't see it. I saw a lot of the same stuff that Adesanya traditionally does with a few extra twists just not work very well against an opponent who was single-mindedly defensive. That's it. That's what I saw. Sirius XM and DAZN have teamed up to give boxing fans the daily coverage they deserve with the Ak and Barak Show. Save, baby. <laughs> Every weekday, Ak and Barak bring you their fresh and modern perspective on boxing with interviews with the biggest names in the game and the celebrities who love it. Boxing, culture, lifestyle. It's the Ak and Barak Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. We bring the fight to you. Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. And on the Sirius XM app. He had just an incredible, I would call it a rebound performance. I mean, it wasn't coming off of a loss or anything, but a bit of an absence. And he just had a tremendous, tremendous performance at UFC 248, uh, defeating Jose Alberto Teco Quinones at 202 of the very first round. It is the one and only Sugar Sean O'Malley. Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing fan-fucking-tastic. How are you? (laughs) You know what? I, I detect a little pep in your step, Sean. Yeah, I feel, I feel good. I feel it's a uh, nice, nice. I, I like you said. I have, it's not much of a rebound. I'm not coming off a loss, but it really does feel like I'm coming off. That was the nice thing about this whole thing. You know, it felt like I, I lost twice without without taking any losses. So, you know, it feels like it feels good to be back on the winning side, and it, 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 I feel good. So let's go through the fight first, and then we'll talk about all the stuff uh, around it. Did the walkout feel more intense? Like, you, you've done this a number of times. To what extent did it all feel familiar? To what extent was this maybe a little bit different? I've been working a lot on my mind in the last couple of years. A lot of just, you know, it, it sounds, however it sounds, but, you know, meditating and being present and being, you know, just feeling rather than thinking so much. So I really wanted, I just, I feel like that entire fight week I was, I was really good about just having just being there and then when it came to the just being in the back waiting for my fight I just you know I got into my breath and I was just so present and then I made that walk out and it was just it felt I just let my body feel everything it felt so good um just walking out you know I had it came out the superstar and I felt like that, that song was just perfect and it, it was an awesome experience did you have to keep your mind in check a little bit like was the were the, were the hopes for a return at all uh, maybe distracting? I was so calm and so it, it, it's hard to ex- it's hard to explain how calm I was. I had zero, you know, I almost had no just no thought. I was just there, and it, it felt 
you know, I'm trying to find the words to explain how I felt, but you just, you, you can't really explain it. I didn't feel, I didn't think, of, I didn't overthink the fight once. I didn't get nervous once. I didn't have any anxiety going into the fight. I sat in the back. I breathed and I, and I just did, just did everything felt like it literally went perfect. All right, so then let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, he was trying to pressure into you. That had to be what you were expecting. What was the game plan for Teco? Yeah, I, I, I knew that fight was either going to go. So there's a couple ways I thought that fight was going to play out. I was going to come out long and back him up and put him up against the fence and then, you know, get offensive there. Um, or he was going to come and, and not get backed up easy and then potentially back me up. But I, I don't, I don't mind fighting going backwards if someone's going to come forward and try to hit me they're going to get knocked out they're going to get hit on the chin um they're going to be off balance and that's that's what that's what's going to happen if you try to come forward against me if you don't come forward against me and you go backwards and let me pressure you you're probably gonna get knocked out too so but either way that seen that fight going he was going to get knocked out or if he did somehow grab me which i just felt like there was no way i was just too when i'm in there i'm too fast and too accurate i didn't think he was gonna be able to grab me he was gonna get choked so I really just felt like that fight was a win-win, whether it was on the ground or on the feet. And I definitely saw uh, there was a potential of him getting knocked out in the first, and obviously that's what happened. Well, you know what stood out to me, Sean, was watching it. It was like it was classically you in certain ways, right? You move the way you move, and you have certain punches or strikes that you particularly favor in certain situations or, you know, whatever. You, you, you have a, Every fighter has a certain fingerprint for a fight style. You could see that in you. However, what I really noticed was every detail of it from the sharpness of the defensive movement to what shots you were using in terms of your selection to the accuracy to the timing. Dude, it all sharpened dramatically. Like It was pretty clear to me that in your time off, man, you must have been in the gym, dude, because it showed. It was a, it, you had all the things you did before just way better. Did you feel like this was a kind of a showcase Although even though you've been away from the octagon, you've not been away from the gym. Yeah, I said Sugar Show 2.0. I'm twice as good as I was when I got when I left. So I think that was, you know, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to just sound cool. Or I felt like that was pretty accurate. I felt like I'm twice as good as when I last fought. I put on eight pounds of solid muscle. I grew into my body, um, and I've been in the gym consistently. I grappled. I choked out <clears throat> um, Takanori Gomi. I went eight minutes with Gilbert Melendez straight grappling. Um, so, it's it, you know, I feel like I've, I definitely evolved and I'm a twice as good as when I last time I fought. So, yeah, everything everything was is still the same style, just stronger, faster, and more skill. Yeah, cleaner. The mecha- Everything was cleaner, too. You know what I mean? Like the movement, just enough movement to get out of the way but still keep you in a position to – Fire back if you needed to. Great recognition, great vision. It was a mature performance, which leads me to wonder, certainly no one would recommend a two-year time off. Do you think you'd be even better had you stayed competing, or was there something to the idea of just working on a craft independent of fight camps, maybe just this once, that was especially beneficial? No, I think the two years off, it's not necessarily just the two years off. It's the stuff I had to deal with in those two years. I really had to understand, like, I could have been upset for those two years or I could, you know, change my perspective and understand, okay, my life's still okay without 
fighting. I still have, I, I've been saying this, I still have hot shower. I still have food in the refrigerator. I still have Danny. I still have my dogs come home too. Like I, I still, my life's still good. And, and kind of trying to put that into perspective instead of being mad that I'm literally getting suspended. I'm in trouble for something I never did. And that was, you know, just trying to work around that in my mind and, and navigating through that and making sense of everything while continuing to be in the gym and continuing to not know when I'm going to fight. Like, well, I know I always, I always, always told myself, I'm like, there's going to be a moment when I'm walking out to that octagon and I'm going to look back and wish I did everything right instead of taking time off. And that's exactly what I did. There wasn't one thing that I could have done better in the time off. Um, I think that's what I was so emotional after the fight. I just, I was like thanking myself in a way. I was like, you know, cause I put a lot of work into all that time off not just physically but mentally and keeping myself on a good path and knowing that 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 moment was going to happen and then when it did finally happen it just was it was powerful was the, was there any time at least early on where you were mad at the circumstances like how fast were you able to make the mental transition that there is still time in your career and time to be spent positively even if you can't fight i think uh you know it's hard to say um how long exactly there was definitely I'm not saying it was just like oh I just got over it and I was fine you know I definitely had to work through it and I think reading certain books and like listening to certain podcasts and you know watching certain things like I I had to deal with all that it wasn't easy but it was was, I'd say a couple weeks you know you know just dealing with that shit because it would randomly pop up I'd just be chilling and then I'll think about it like damn I'm literally not allowed to compete right now for something I didn't do. And just that thought would trigger different emotions. Like I'd get upset and like, wow, like there's literally people out there that are holding me back from fighting for something I've ne- I, I've never done. And I felt like the, the, the levels of my test were so obvious and the amount of times I got tested, it was so obvious that I wasn't intentionally taking anything like, it was just, like, if you look at my test levels, like, it's so obvious I'm not taking anything. Why can't I fight? Like, and even USADA and UFC were like, we don't think you are. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but you guys, I just think of, so I think of something like that, and I'm getting a little upset, but, you know, I'd always have to bring myself back and just remember and be thankful and be grateful for what I have right now. And that was always the battle. It's just, you know, it's always the battle inside your mind which way you want to go. You can take it this way or you can take it that way. And, you know, I was good about taking it a positive way, a positive way. And when a negative way did come, you know, bounce back and, you know, counter that negative thought with positive thoughts, be grateful. And uh, I've really learned a lot about that in the last two years. And I think that improved my performance alone as well as being inside the gym. Yeah, certainly. Do you believe that in a perfect world, which certainly is not the one that we live in, but let's say that we did, uh, if there was any measure you could take to protect innocent athletes – who were uh, involved in some kind of anti-doping inquiry or question or investigation or even suspension, is, is there any kind of meaningful change in your mind that could be made to protect people who are in your kind of position so that they're not out for two years? I think is doing, you know, they obviously made the 100 picogram rule. Um, I think that's an awesome first step, but I definitely think that's still way too low. A picogram is a trillionth of a gram 
there's just there's just no way a hundred picograms is performance enhancing. It's I wish, and I I had been saying this for a long time. I wish they could test somebody who is taking Austrian and get their levels and say, okay, this is what levels look like when they're taking Austrian knowingly, willingly taking Austrian, and then compare it to you know some of the the even my levels or you know there's a ton of athletes out there that are testing positive for Austrian. It's not just me. There's hundreds hundreds in all different sports men and women um so I, I think if they got a you know tested someone that's taken it knowingly and willingly and and see their levels compared to um someone like my level i think they could get a better understanding of what's performance enhancing and what's not but i, I don't no one's gonna f- listen to me and i think they're just gonna have to keep you know improving the system but i, I definitely think they're trying so then, if you could sum up the last two years, it probably feel, feels like many things. But if there's one way where you look back on it, how would you describe it to somebody who maybe just met you today and they wanted to know more about it? What would you, what words would you use to describe the last couple of years? The last couple of years in general, or the last couple of years dealing with uh, USADA? Um, actually, both. Because the last couple of years have been. My life has been amazing. I haven't, I have no complaints. Even not fighting, like my life is, I've been continued to train and go to jujitsu and go to, go to the lab and go and do all, my life was no different. I'm still going to the same gyms, hanging out with the same people, doing the same exact things um, and eating good food and, you know, just being, just living the same lifestyle if I was there. So the last two years have been amazing. I, I have no complaints besides those little there's little things that, that, you know, that happened, but I have no complaints about what happened. I don't fault USADA. I think it was just such a new thing and it's happening more and more and more now. And it's starting to become, even now that Nate tested, it's like, Oh, okay, well we got to figure something out. So I think, uh, it's definitely going to happen to other people. Um, because it's, they, they still don't really understand where it's coming from. Not everyone finds out where it's coming from. And so it's going to happen again. To, to another superstar, another person. Um, I get messages from UFC fighters today because now if you test for it, you saw it doesn't come out and tell tell the uh, the public. Um, but I'm getting messages from UFC fighters still saying, "Hey, dude, I just tested for Austrian. I have no idea. And like, what do I do? And you know, so it's still happening a bunch, and it's still going to happen until they kind of get a figure it out. So I, I don't know. It's still still such a mystery to everyone. You know, I'll say the one part that is good is that even though there was two years away from the cage, number one, you're still so young. I don't even think you've entered your prime yet, number one. I mean, you definitely haven't entered your prime yet. And then number two, I don't I don't detect a lot of evidence, Sean, that this in the end, in the end, harmed your reputation. I think if you get another win under your belt and then you just keep rocking and rolling the way you've been, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a long memory for you maybe, but for the fans, it might be a short memory. Yeah, I I I don't feel any backlash at all. I don't feel like, or at least I just don't pay attention to it. I don't even hear it anymore. I don't pay attention to it. I feel like it's such a joke to even think about. Like, I, if if you just understood what a picogram is and you see my levels, it just makes, you know, it, may, it just doesn't make sense. So I feel like anybody that does think I cheated, you know, I I feel bad for them because they're just clearly not that smart. There's just no way I you test for levels like that. And, uh, you know what I mean? It's just they're not smart. So if someone is considering me a cheater or, or whatever, I, I, I truly just kind of feel bad for their 
for them because they're stupid. Yeah, they might be. All right, but that leads us to an interesting position, which is you're rocking and rolling. Now, you're not inside the top 15. You got some work to do to get there. But, dude, I don't – I mean, did you take two, three punches in that whole fight, if that? Seems like you came out of that one very much unscathed. How soon can you get back out there and rock and roll? Yeah, I'm definitely healthy. Um, As far as ranking system goes, like, you got dudes fighting title shots coming off losses. So I'm not too concerned about – you know, fighting top 15, fighting top 10, fighting this, fighting that. Like, to me, it says the rankings are, you know, they're not they're not what they used to be. So, it's not, I don't really, we're going to find the, we're going to we're gonna check out the calendar, check out some dates. I feel like I'm on a position where I can kind of say, hey, I want to fight. I want to fight here. Or I want to fight there. Um, and then we'll find someone else who's coming off a win and, you know, figure it out from there. But, yeah, I think, you know, I'm healthy. I got a couple plans for the weekend. I got to go, go out of town and do some stuff. But other than that, yeah, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to get back in there and uh, scrap. Well, I hope you do. I hope you get a couple more in there for this year. Um, you're a smart guy. I know it was a trying time, but you came out on the other side with maybe the best way that anybody could, given the circumstances. And I think you've got a bright future in front of you. And by the way, as I mentioned before, dude, you looked phenomenal at UFC 248. So keep doing what you're doing, because whatever it is, Sean, it's working. We appreciate your time, and uh, enjoy your weekend. You have certainly earned it. Awesome. Thank you so much. appreciate it. There he is, Sugar Sean O'Malley. What a, what a kid, huh? Amazing. Great attitude. Really mature. The Luke Thomas Show is your one-stop destination for MMA. If you're in a UFC title fight and you get finished in the first round, yo, you lost. Sports. I cheer for loser teams. As well as pop culture and entertainment. No matter what Star Wars comes out, I'll just find a way to like it. No. The Luke Thomas Show, weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. On your home for combat sports. Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and the Sirius XM app. Now included free for most subscribers. What is or should be next for Ioana and Jacek? My colleague Brian Campbell over at Morning Combat believes that what is next for her should be retirement. And when he first said it, actually, let me let me state this first. I don't agree, but and especially when he first said it, I was like, dude, what are you talking about? But when you look at some of the details about why he says that, and he says it coming from a boxing perspective where um, – these kinds of concerns are a little bit more forward in someone's career, maybe relative to MMA. She's 32. I'm gonna. I, I can't. Let me actually. Let's see what the. Let's see what the truth is here. Kyle, what do you suspect the average age is of the top 15 straw weights? Average age of the straw weights. So Wiley Zhang, how old is she? Let's I want to. I want to say 29 or 30. All right. Let's let's look at this. Wiley Zhang is. Let me see here. She's 30. Okay. So then you have uh, Valentina Shevchenko. How old is she? She's a little bit longer than two. She's 32, but now, well, she's up a weight class anyway, so that doesn't really count. So let's go Jessica Andrade, right? Right? That's who she fought as well. Jessica Andrade is uh, 28 years old. Okay. So then you get to Rose Namajunas. Now, Rose is very young, right? Rose is 27 years old. Uh, then we drop down and we look at Tatiana Suarez. How old do you think Tatiana Suarez is? Cause she also transitioned from a, another career. Suarez. Let's see. She is 29 years old. 
Then you look at Nina Ansaroff. Now, she's going to be on the shelf for a little while, but still, Nina Ansaroff. She is 34. Now, she's much older. Uh, let's try Claudia Gedalia. How old is she? 31. Uh, I'm going to do just a few more of these. Carla Esparza, who's sitting. These I'm just going right down the rankings. She's 32. Michelle Waterson, she's got to be a little bit longer in the tooth, right? She's got to be like close to 35 or so, yeah? 34, I'm right. And then um, let's do Cynthia Calvillo. It is so funny how like 34 seems old for an athlete. Like it's, it's yeah, the funniest thing in the world. 40. And she's 32, <laughs> Cynthia is. So here's the point. At 32, she's certainly not the oldest member. But I would say if you're bracketing that 28 to 32 seems like the sweet spot, She's beginning to pass the sweet spot of age for that division, at least among elite contenders. You got Michelle Waterson as an eight spot, but she's not in the top five. Ansaroff is sitting at five, but she's going to be out for a while, and I don't think she's going to be able to hold that position when she comes back. Now, I could be wrong about that, but let's just sort of posit that. But for Ioana at 32, sitting at four, Tatiana, 29, Rose, 27, Andrade, uh, 28 or 29, and then Zhang, 30. You know, the oldest person in the top five is technically Nina. But if you swap spots with Nina and, and Claudia, then Joanna is all of a sudden the oldest in that uh, space. So you can see she's a little bit starting to age out of that prime spot for top contendership. Okay, that's the first thing that I would say, number one. The second thing I would say is you just look at Joanna's record. You know, it's obviously quite decorated, right? She's done a lot of amazing things. At the same time, uh, she has done. She has fought a lot. Now she's got a kickboxing record of. Let's see. She fought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And just uh, no, excuse me. She has twenty-seven wins, uh, and she has three losses. So she has th- at the one draw. So she's got thirty-one kickboxing fights, and now she's got twenty MMA fights. So she's a fifty-plus fighter. She's literally had over fifty fights in her career. Uh, that's not counting her amateur background where she had two fights. So, and God only knows how many in kickboxing. So she's probably closer to 60, to be quite honest with you. Right? We're talking about somebody who has a ton, a ton of punishment. All right? And, and just miles. Now, she won her first 14 of those. But understand, I'm going to read you the number of rounds through the first 14 fights. Two rounds, one round, two rounds, two rounds, three rounds, two rounds, three rounds, three rounds, two rounds, three rounds, right? And now, listen to this, five rounds, five rounds, five rounds, five rounds. In her last four uh, consecutive wins that she had, so Valerie Letourneau, Claudia Gedalia, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and Jessica Andrade, she spent five, 10, 15, 20 different rounds across them, and she won those fights Fairly easily, the, the Gedalia fight was a little bit difficult, and Letourneau had some moments, but still, 20 rounds just there. Then she gets viciously knocked out by Rose Namajunas, tapped to strikes as a matter of fact. She comes back and has a great performance against Rose in another five-round contest, ultimately losing that affair. She comes back and has a three-round fight against Tisha Torres, looked pretty good. I didn't think it took, took a whole lot of damage. She came back and then she fought Valentina Shevchenko at 125, she loses that. I didn't think she took a whole lot of damage, but again, the wear and tear is significant. She has a five-round fight against Michelle Waterson, where I thought she had done some pretty decent damage. Still, wear and tear. And then she has another five-round fight against Zhang Wai Li, where she took an epic, 
an absolutely epic amount of damage. The number of times she has gone the full five distance, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. She's done 40 rounds just off of five-round fights. That's a lot, folks. That's a lot. And then you add up the kickboxing fights, and then you add up everything else, including the age. And you begin to realize that at some point, maybe not the next fight, maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, you know, you really want to spot her a little bit of time, um, the, the, the other shoe's going to drop here. She hasn't won back-to-back fights since 2016 to 2017. She's literally two and four in her last six. Now, admittedly, those come to just three different fighters, and I thought she won her last one. Here's the point, though. I thought Carlos Condit won against Robbie Lawler. You know what happened after that? He was never the same. He was never the same. I don't know what's going to be next for Ioana and Jacek, but I'm laying out the facts for you here, and I'm wondering what people think would be the best course of action. I disagree with my colleague, Brian Campbell, that retirement should be next, but I'll tell you one thing I'm going to do. I, here's, what, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know if what happened on Saturday is, in fact, that tipping point. But I've seen this movie in other cases with other fighters, and it absolutely did serve as one. I mentioned on the other break what I was looking to, looking not looking forward to exactly in the sense that I'm in, I'm eagerly anticipating it, but rather what I'm going to be paying close attention to is, number one, how much time you want to take off, and B, we need to really see what she looks like when she comes back. And the idea that she's going to be just the same, I'm not telling you that she won't. Please understand that. But the idea that there should be no doubt in your mind that she'll look exactly as good as before, I think that you may want to hit the pause button on a little bit. To me, it's going to be a wait and see. Maybe you want to even switch it up to trust but verify, but still, that verification would need to be there. That was an absolutely huge beating that she took. I mean, you. I remember I said this yesterday to, to, to Cobb on the show. I was, uh, after UFC 244, I bumped into, in, the, in, in Madison Square Garden, I bumped into Dan Hardy. He came back to the media room where I was working. We started talking, and he was like, dude, if that fight between Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal had taken place in Vegas, they'd have let it rock. And, uh, you know, it's debatable whether or not that's true, but it's, it's not a bad thought. It's, it's probably smart, and he's probably right, as a matter of fact. And sure enough, here we are in Vegas for UFC 248, and they let it go. I don't think that they would have let that fight go in New York. And you could say that's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but it probably would have been a thing. And now you're looking at this case, and you're saying, well, maybe she should have won, but now she didn't. And now, on top of that, she has all that abuse to account for. Not just the abuse on Saturday, but in the seven other fights that all went five rounds, in all the other fights that bring her UFC fights as a pro to a total of 20, then the two amateur ones, and then a 31-fight record, at least that we know of, in kickboxing. She's probably somewhere closer to the order of 60 fights. Um, and she's now 32. When is her birthday, by the way? Let's see. So when is she 33? Her birthday is uh, August. So she's got some time. She'll be 33 in August. You know, So she's now starting to get to a little bit of, of the older side of a fairly young division. I don't think she needs to hang it up. But I have to tell you, to me, her next fight is going to be extremely illuminating as to what's possible for her going forward.
because she clearly cannot beat the person who's one weight class up. There is no weight class below her. And as good as she was in this fight and has been in this division, I think her opportunities to beat the very best have passed her by. And now there's a question of where do you go from here with all that damage, with the state you're in, with the age you're creeping into, and your inability to really reclaim a top position. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.